our oldest daughter, Ava, is really into animals. And not just the cute, cuddly ones. She loves for us to read her books and enjoys watching shows about all different kinds and types of, of mammals and insects and lizards and fish and birds, all different kinds and types of, of species. She especially loves for me to read her books about predators, books about extremely ferocious and dangerous animals. When we go to the library, she wants books on wolves and hyenas and sharks and killer whales and snakes. And at times, when I'm reading to her about these dangerous animals, she'll stop me and say, Dad, where do these animals live? And I'll tell her, well, this animal is found in Africa or in Asia or Central and South America, and then she wants to see where it is on the map. And the reason why is because she wants to know how far these ferocious animals live in relation to her. And a lot of times, she's comforted to know that they live a, a, a country or even an ocean away. But every now and again, in our reading, we'll read about an animal that lives close by. For example, one time I was reading to her about rattlesnakes. And uh, in the reading, it said they can be found in Texas. And uh, she stopped me and said, Dad, that can't be right. There are no snakes in Texas, is what she said. And I said, well, yeah, baby, there is. And immediately she didn't want me to read any more from that book. See, though she knows that, that there are dangerous animals out there in other parts of the world, and, and she wants to hear about them, she didn't even want to entertain the idea that they might also live nearby. But the truth is, they do. Here's the point. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, whether we want to hear it or not, we live in a dangerous world. And it's not just ferocious animals that make the world dangerous. People make the world dangerous, don't they? Unfortunately, there are people in our world today who hurt other people, sometimes unintentionally, but other times they do it deliberately. Nature also makes the world dangerous. We hear all the time about earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes that destroy cities and take the lives of, of hundreds of people, sometimes thousands. There are also sicknesses that make our world a dangerous place. There are certain viruses and diseases that can kill you. A few weeks ago, I got on the CDC website and, and read that uh, 7.6 million people die of cancer worldwide every year. So we live in a dangerous world. And the question for us as believers is this, how are we as Christians to live in this dangerous world? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 121. We are continuing our series through the Psalms this morning. And what I've been saying throughout this series is this. Though the, the, the book of Psalms is classified as poetry, within the book of Psalms, y'all could probably repeat it by now, are various kinds and types of Psalms, right? And we've looked at many of these already. We've looked at Psalms of wisdom, praise Psalms, 
Psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of remembrance and kingship psalms. Today we're going to be looking at a psalm of confidence. A psalm of confidence. In these psalms, though the psalmist may acknowledge the fact that the world in which we live is hostile and, and dangerous, in these psalms, the psalmist also expresses great confidence and trust in the one true God of the scriptures. In Psalm 23, we read from it earlier, which is one of the most well-known of the Psalms of Confidence and probably the most familiar in all the Bible, and especially in the book of Psalms. In verse 4, Psalm 23, David says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Can you hear the confidence in the psalmist here? He says, in the deepest and darkest of times, in the most difficult and dangerous of places, David says, I will fear no evil. Why? Why could he continue on and not be afraid? Because God is with him. Guiding and directing his steps and providing comfort and security in the darkest of times and in the most difficult of circumstances. So believers, I asked earlier, how should we as believers live in the midst of this dark and dangerous world? Well, the psalms of, of these psalms, the psalmist of these psalms provide us with the answer. They tell us that we should respond with confidence. Why? Because God is with us. Now, why should that give us confidence? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you're not there yet, get there. Psalm 121. What I want to do for the rest of the morning is I want us to look at this psalm and I want us to answer this question. Why can we as believers be confident in God in the midst of a dark and dangerous world? Here's the first reason. The first reason we can have confidence in God in this world is because He is creator. He is creator. God is our creator. Look at verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, before we jump into explaining this text, it's important that we not only identify this psalm as a psalm of confidence, but also as a psalm of ascent. Does it say that in your Bibles? That's a psalm of ascent? Yeah. There are several psalms of ascent within the book of Psalms, and these psalms would have been written and sung by Jewish travelers while making their way to Jerusalem for worship. Okay? And at times, these trips that were made by them were dangerous and treacherous and long and burdensome and tiring. Therefore, these travelers were in need of inner strength to make this trip. So understanding the context here, it really brings life to this psalm, doesn't it? Especially verses 1 and 2. Let's look at it again. Notice the psalmist says here, While on this difficult journey... While on this dangerous and burdensome and tiresome journey, I lift up my eyes to the hills and I ask, from where does my help come? While on this difficult journey, where am I to place my confidence? Do I place it in these hills? 
What am I to place my trust in? The psalmist is looking around at the things of this world and he's asking this rhetorical question of whether or not he is to place his confidence in the things of this world. And of course, the answer is no. Says, does my help come from the hills? No. In the first part of verse 2, he tells us where it comes from. Says, my help, my confidence does not come from these hills. It does not come from anything on the earth. It comes from the Lord. Why? Why could God look to and be trusted for help? The psalmist gives us the answer throughout the rest of the psalm. First, he says, because God is creator. Look at verse 2 again. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist is saying here, my help comes from the Lord, from the one who made all that is, who created everything. The psalmist is essentially saying here, why would I put my confidence and hope in the things of this world when I can put my hope and my confidence in the creator of the world? Why would I place my hope and my confidence in created things when I can place my hope and my confidence in the creator of all things? It's a good question, isn't it? Why put your hope in someone or something inferior to someone or something else. And I know there are many of you here this morning who are thinking to yourself, yeah, 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 I know. We don't have to belabor this point. I know we're to trust in God. I know we're ultimately to look to Him and place our confidence in Him. But let me ask you this, believers. If this is true and we know it to be true, then why aren't we doing it? Why are we doing it? You know why God continually revisits this truth time and time again? You know why he reminds us of this over and over again, that we're not to trust in ourselves and in the things of this world, but we're to look to and trust in him? You know why? Because when times get tough, we have a tendency to look to anyone and everything else but him. It's true. When things go wrong in our world, we usually go just about anywhere and do just about anything and look to just about anyone else but God. And if all else fails, we might turn to him, but then again, we may not. God wants us to get this. He wants it to soak in. He reminds us time and time again of how pointless it is to look to and trust in created things when we can look to and trust in the creator of all things. So that's the first reason we can and should have confidence in God because he is creator. Second reason we can have confidence in God in the midst of the dangerous world in which we live is because he is independent. God is independent. Look at verses 3 through 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist here says that he puts his confidence in the one who does not slumber or sleep. He's reminding us here that our God has no needs. He is in need of no one or nothing. God is independent, completely self-sufficient. 
Theologians refer to this as self-existence, God's self-existence. What that means is God exists within himself and depends upon no one or nothing for his existence. God needs nothing. This is one of the many ways in which God is different from us. Now, there are ways in which we are like God, but there are ways in which he is very different from us, and this is one of those ways. Everything else in creation is extremely dependent. That includes us. Now, some of us don't like to think of ourselves in this way. We like to think, I'm, I'm the master of my own fate. What are you talking about? I'm independent. We talk about folks as being independent, don't we? But when you take time to list out all the things we need day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, second to second, you see we are extremely dependent people. Think about what's mentioned here, sleep. How many of you can function without any sleep at all, ever? Anybody? Ever? Now some of us can go on less sleep than others, right? But we all need sleep. There are times I can go on very little sleep, but after a while it catches up with me. Doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how many cups of coffee I drink, I eventually just drift off to sleep. I'm needy in this way. Not true of God. He needs nothing for his existence. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't sleep. He has no needs at all. And the point the psalmist is making here is this. His ultimate trust is in the one who needs nothing for his existence. The one who self-exists. And the one who has created all that is. And in the one who does not slumber or sleep. And the one who has no needs. And again, the question for you this morning is this. What, what are you putting your confidence in? What are you putting your trust in? Like I said already, there, there are many things that we are tempted to trust in and put our ultimate confidence in, right? What is it for you? Is it family? Is your ultimate trust and confidence in your family? Or are you thinking, no matter what, my family will always be there no matter what. They're going to keep me secure. Is it money? Maybe you're thinking, no matter what happens, I'm set up financially and that's enough. Is it social status, your job, your health? What is it? I know some people are just relying upon good fortune. There's some who are just hoping things will go their way. Wishful thinking. That's what they're banking on. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't really know. You know your ultimate trust is not in God, but you don't know what you're ultimately putting your confidence in. This is you. Ask yourself this question. What is that certain something in your life that if it were taken from you would absolutely crush you to the point you couldn't go on? You'll have your answer. What is that? A person, a job, your reputation, your health, money. Maybe it's one or a combination of a few of those things. Listen, whatever that something is, that's what you're ultimately putting your confidence in. Now, I'm not suggesting that losing a loved one or even your job or, or, or something like that shouldn't be painful. It is. I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't hurt. It should. The troubles, the, the, the storms that we go through, the troubles in life, they, they, they hurt at times. What I'm talking about is not being able to move on from that. 
There's something in your life like that. That's what you're putting your confidence in. And let me tell you the problem with those things. They will never be able to ultimately meet the needs that you have because they're dependent upon other things. And those things they're dependent upon are dependent upon other things. And none of those things are lasting. They're temporal. And by definition, just use your logic here, temporal things cannot bring satisfaction that lasts. It can't happen. There's only one who can satisfy long-term, one who can grant you joy everlasting, and that is the maker of heaven and earth, the, the one who does not sleep, the one who is in need of no one or nothing. So that's the second reason why we should have confidence in God and ultimately place our trust in Him because He's independent. He is creator and He needs no one or nothing. Third reason we can be confident is because God is our protector. He is our protector. Notice, notice how many times the psalmist refers to God as our protector, as the one who keeps us. Look at verse 3. He who keeps you, verse 4. He who keeps Israel, look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper, verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life, in verse 8. The Lord will keep. Now, I don't think I have to explain to you why this is the main point of the psalm, do I? It's all throughout the psalm. The emphasis here in this psalm is upon God as our keeper. It's upon God as our protector, as the one who keeps us. And notice how God keeps us. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. On your right hand, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Remember when I introduced this study to you, I, I, I said that one of the characteristics of all poetry, most poetry, most all poetry, and Hebrew poetry, is the use of imagery. Notice the great imagery here. The psalmist says, the Lord is your shade. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The imagery here is of God as our shade who protects us from the sun and the moon. And many commentators believe, and I myself believe, that the psalmist here uses this imagery of the sun and the moon to refer to the dangers that one faces throughout the day and throughout the night. So he's saying here, God is our shade who protects us from all the dangers in life. He is our shade. He is our keeper. He is our protector. And there is a key point that needs to be emphasized here by us. Notice here, the psalmist doesn't say God removes us from these dangers, does he? But he's our shade in the midst of it. That's key. Oftentimes, God does not remove us from the dangers of the day and from the dangers we face throughout the night. He keeps us in the midst of it. He, he, he keeps us where we are while providing divine assistance for us in and through it. Oftentimes, when we go through trials in life, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when we find ourselves in dark and difficult circumstances and in dangerous situations, we want God to deliver us out, don't we? Not provide us protection from within. When difficult times come, we don't want God to 
come and help us through it, do we? We want him to deliver us out. We don't want assistance and protection in the midst of difficult circumstances. We want God to give us a different set of circumstances, right? That's not normally the way God does things. Oftentimes, God does not just deliver us out, but he uses these circumstances for several reasons. One, to grow us in godliness, and also to bring glory to his name in the way we endure through those difficulties. How many of you have heard it said before that hard times make for soft people? Soft times make for hard people. It's true. So true. God uses difficulty. He uses tough situations. He uses hard times to soften us, to mold us, and to make us more like Jesus. Whether you like it or not, folks, difficulty is often the path to godliness. It is. So important we realize that. Not only that, God also provides divine assistance for us through these tough times to bring glory to his name because you know what? When when we're going through dark and difficult circumstances in life and when we live for God and have confidence ultimately in him, you know what that does to the unbelieving and watching world that's watching you go through it? It shows them that there is something in your life more precious than those circumstances. When we live to prove that God is more precious to us than anything else, when we keep following him through the dark and difficult seasons of life, that brings glory to him. It does. At times that can only come through difficulties. Look at verse 7. Psalmist talks a bit more about what God protects us from. Psalmist says in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from some evil no all all evil and by all here he means all there are many different kinds and types of evils in our world there is what is called natural evils this is what we are talking about in the in the introduction and these are up on the screen these are in your notes natural evil Natural evil is is the evil we experience in this world that happens as a result of of the fall. We live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a world that's been corrupted by sin, and we see and experience the effects of this corruption all the time. When you get sick, you're experiencing the effects of that come from natural evils that we experience as a result of the fall. When that tornado swept, swept through Oklahoma, taking many lives. Many were asking, why would that happen? Because we live in a broken and fallen world that is plagued by these natural evils. There's also moral evil. This is evil done by people. This comes as a result of the fall. We see this as early as Genesis 4. Remember in Genesis 3, man fell, rebelled against God, took one chapter until the first murder. Cain killed Abel. That should have been a red flag to everybody that something has seriously gone wrong in our world. You have a brother killing another brother. Moral evil. We experience this type of evil today, don't we? 
It could be something as, as small as being chewed out by somebody for no good reason and something as major and as terrible as murder. How many of you all have read reports recently in the paper or heard on the news about a homicide here in the past few weeks? Yeah, it's all the time. Moral evil. There's also spiritual evil. These are evils that are caused by Satan and his demons. Scripture is clear. Satan is real, so are his demons, and they can also receive some blame for the evils in our world. Now, in saying that, let me say this. Though it's important that we give Satan credit and realize that his evil influence is real and at times great, it's also important that we don't blame him for everything and remove all responsibility from us. That's key. I do think that some don't give Satan enough credit and his demons enough credit and others give him too much. Listen, though Satan does prowl around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, at times I believe he can just look on and watch us trip and stumble over our own flesh. Remember what we talked about in Ephesians 2? We're dead in sin. Before salvation, our hearts are set on disobedience. We still struggle with sin today. But back to Psalm 121, notice here, the psalmist says in verse 7 that no matter the evil, the Lord will keep us from all of it. From all of it. Listen, when you place your hope and your confidence in the Lord, when you look to Him and trust to Him, trust in Him and, and you follow Him above all else, He is able to keep you from these evils. Now, does this mean you won't mess up? No. Though the penalty of sin has been removed from us as believers, we are still not yet where we need to be spiritually. The power and the presence of sin are still very much a reality in our life and our world. We're not yet complete in Christ. That's coming. When we're glorified in that future day, but believers still, by God's grace, by His work in and through us, we are able to resist these evils and we have God's presence with us in the midst of it to guide us and protect us. So that's what God protects us from. Now let me ask you this, where does God protect us? Where does He keep us from evil? We, we've talked about the fact that, that He protects us and how He protects us and when He protects us and what He protects us from, but where does He protect us? Well, the psalmist even covers this. Look at verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. It's just a fancy way of saying everywhere. The Lord will keep you everywhere, everywhere you go. God is everywhere, right? And He's with us everywhere, believers. When we go out, when we come in, He keeps a careful watch and care over His people everywhere. He's keeping careful watch over you right here and over our team in Nicaragua right now simultaneously. He's everywhere. Here's the thing, though we know evils happen and at times they happen to us, we don't know when or where at times they will happen or what will happen to us, but guess what? God does. He does. Scripture is clear that He is with His people every step of the way, guiding and directing and caring for His own. The psalmist says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in for how long? 
How long will God keep us? Notice the end of verse 8. From this time forth and forevermore. At times, my girls will get scared at night when it's time to go to bed. They don't want me to leave the room. And at times, I'll, I'll, I'll stay in there with them until they drift off to sleep. But eventually, I leave the room. My eyes are not always set upon them. It's not true of our God. He never leaves us. His eyes are always set upon us. Look at verse 8 again. The psalmist says, The Lord will keep us now from this time forth and forevermore. In other words, He is constantly present and protects His people forever. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking upon hearing that. As I've gone through this section, you're probably thinking to yourself, but what about all those people who have served Christ and have suffered and died? I mean, think about the disciples, for example. Most of them were put to death for their faith. All of them suffered. Didn't seem like God was protecting them, right? It's probably what some of you are thinking. Many of them died before their before old age, at a young age, and at the hands of morally evil men. And I'm sure we could go through the room right here this morning and we would hear story after story about people we know, good, godly people who have suffered as a result of natural and moral and spiritual evil. So how do we make sense of this? Here's the thing. We have to view things from a bigger biblical perspective from an eternal perspective. Remember, we've said this before. We have to understand this text, all texts, especially in the Old Testament and through the Psalms with New Testament eyes. And what we find throughout the Scriptures is that though God's people suffer in this life, they are ultimately protected in the life to come. They're ultimately protected from God and His wrath. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, what Jesus is doing here is He is giving us a bigger biblical perspective on danger. Here's the thing. It, it is possible that you could be killed as a result of a terminal illness or a natural disaster at the hands of ungodly people. But what Jesus is saying, and the, and the New Testament authors write about it, is we, we should not be paralyzed by that fear. Jesus says we need to have a bigger biblical perspective. Instead of fearing that, he says, the only fear you should have is the fear of the one who is able to kill both soul and body in hell. He's referring to God here. He's saying we should not fear the dangers of this world, get this, but the dangers that come as a result of not knowing God. We said earlier, why would you put your confidence in something that is inferior to someone else? Why would you put your fear in something that is inferior to a greater fear? It's a good question, isn't it? Now, some don't like talking about this, the fear of God. But here's the problem. If you have a problem with that, here's a problem for you. It's taught all throughout the Scriptures. Scripture is clear that those who reject God in this life will face Him and His wrath in the life to come. 
Jesus said, you want to fear something, fear that. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Saying, you want to fear something, fear that. Here's the good news for us, believers. If you're on good terms with God, if you know him personally, no matter what happens to you in this life physically, you have ultimate protection, whether you are going out or coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Should help you sleep at night. Should have confidence no matter what. Let me end on this. As I've said many times throughout this study, and I just said it earlier, it's important when we read through the Old Testament, when we read through the Psalms, it's imperative that we read it with New Testament eyes. And one thing we, we learn as we read the rest of the story beyond Psalm 121 is though we can and should have confidence in God because He is God, because He is creator of all that is, because He is independent in need of no one or nothing, because He is our omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty protector, though we can and should have confidence in Him because of the, these things, get this, we can and should also have confidence in God the Son because He emptied Himself and became one of us. God the Father has sent God the Son to this earth to become one of us, and God the Son willingly took on limitations for us. And Scripture is clear that we're able to have confidence in Him for those reasons as well. Though we can and should have confidence in God as creator, listen. We can and should also have confidence in God the Son because he entered into the world that he created as a created being, as a man like you and me. Though we can and should have confidence in God because he is independent and self-sufficient, we can and should also have confidence in God the Son who became dependent and reliant Though we can and should have confidence in God as our all-powerful and almighty protector, we can and should also have confidence in God the Son because in his, his humility and in humanity he came and he became weak and in need of divine protection. Now why should that give us confidence? Paul sums it up for us nicely. 2 Corinthians 8 9, listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Man, it's one of the great verses on the incarnation, the importance of the incarnation in all of Scripture right there. Paul sums it up nicely in a single verse. He says the reason the incarnation is essential, the reason why... Jesus humbling himself and entering into this world as a created being. The reason why I'm taking on limitations and allowing himself to be like us in every way is important because through that act of humility, by emptying himself in this way, he made a way for us to be made right with God through him. See, the only true way that we can be confident in God in this life the only way we can have confidence through the darkest of times, the most difficult of circumstances, the only way to do that is if we belong to God. And the only way we can belong to God is through the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus emptied Himself. He became one of us in every way. He was 
tempted like we are, but was without sin. He lived the perfect life, and he died a terrible and tragic death and endured the very wrath of God for us so that we might not have to. And he did it for this reason, 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He gave his life so that he could bring us to God. Maybe you're here this morning. You don't have this confidence that I've been talking about. The kind of confidence that's not shaken in the midst of a dark and difficult and dangerous world. And the reason why is because you don't know God. You don't know the God who gives this confidence. And the reason you don't know Him is because you have yet to come to Him through His Son. Listen, if this is you this morning, I pray that changes right now. If you're lacking confidence in God today because you don't know him, I pray today be the day you come to know him through his son. Pray today be the day you turn from your life of rebellion against God and you turn toward God and you trust in his son alone for your salvation. Let's pray.